This episode of the Movie Musical Shakedown is brought to you by Shutterstock. Shutterstock is a leading global technology company offering a creative platform for high-quality assets, tools, and services. This company licenses images, video, music, and editorial assets, as well as custom content tailored to a brand's needs. Learn more today at Shutterstock.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention for please? You've got talent. Let's see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. One Mary in my life. Mary Lane. With an L. For love. I love Mary Lane. Love my Mary. Love my Mary. Love my Mary Lane. Jimmy, what are you doing here in the middle of the night? It's almost 9 p.m. Mary Lane. Oh, Mary Lane. Two words that and welcome to the Movie Musical Shakedown. I am your host, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of On Stage Blog. Thrilled to have you joining us this week for a, I guess you could say the beginning of <clears throat> really delving into some of the more, I guess you could say cultish, cult hits, uh, if you will, the cult movie musicals. You know, we've done a lot of classics, we've done a lot of popular ones, but, you know, we, we definitely have to show some respect to those cult hits, those midnight showing type of pieces and what better one to start with today than 2005's Reefer Madness and if you folks have never seen this movie musical it's fantastic number one it's campy it's ridiculous it's absurd just as absurd and ridiculous as the original 1936 film that it's based on and if if you actually have a chance you should really watch these two back to back because it's it's really fun to kind of watch the comparison uh, between the two and how faithful you know the 2005 movie musical is interesting cast a lot of uh, people kind of breaking out from this a lot of people you know who are at a different stage in their careers so to speak when this movie came out i mean it stars very you know fresh out of the gate Kristen bell who uh, had just started at veronica mars so she definitely was not a uh, a well-known you know celebrity yet um Christian Campbell, John, uh, I can't even talk, John uh, Tessie, tar, 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 I can't even talk, Terry, um, Stephen Weber, Anna Gasteyer, I mean, just left and right, really, really strong musical cast, and you see that throughout the film, and I've got a great guest host with me today, good friend of mine from college, haven't spoke to her in over a decade, and uh, only keeping up really through Facebook, but when I kind of put out the call of looking for folks wanting to do this movie, she was like one of the first people to kind of raise her hand and say, I want to do Reefer Madness. And I was like, let's do it. Why not? So good friend of mine, Julia Adams is going to be here. She's a costume designer galore. And especially with a movie like this, where the the design and the costuming is, is really all over the place. Uh, I wanted to really bring her in and, and use her expertise, so to speak in this podcast. So she's really, really great. She's going to have some great insight and uh, yeah. Can't wait to get this thing started. So 
Without further ado, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to break it all down. But first, of course, as always, here's the trailer. You have been convicted and sentenced to death by electrocution. Any last words? Um. Well put. All the switch. In 1936, a madness swept the teenage world. Unable, so insidious, so seductive, that even its name... Marijuana. ...struck fear into the hearts of the citizenry. Public enemy number one. Forsooth, fair Juliet. Are you trying to woo me? Now, two young sweethearts, Mary Lane and Jimmy Harper... Hey, kid, I'm Jack. ...will be caught up in the path of the evil demon weed. This isn't that reefer I've read about. All the rage in Paris. Paris? And brought into a seamy world filled with decadence. What a knife. There was more laps than a napkin. Corruption. Are you putting on weight? Lately, I seem to be hungry all the time. Good girls gone bad. Tonight, you and me are gonna break out like the measles. And some very rude behavior. Shut up, bitch. I feel a little naughty. We'll play with the whips and nipple clips and candles. Jack, I saw Satan. His mugs wound up like an eight-day clock. One too many giggle sticks. Better put your flaps down before you take off. Madness, 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 madness. Oh, 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 that was your tongue. Wait till that Susie Mayberry hears about this. <laughs> Kristen Bell, Christian Campbell, Nev Campbell, Alan Cumming, John Cassier, Amy Spanger, Robert Torty, and Stephen Weber in the outrageous new feel-good musical comedy of the year. <laughs> Only on Showtime. And we're back, and I am now joined by my amazing, talented college friend who I've not talked to in over a decade, Miss Julia Adams. How are you? I'm good. How are you? So good. It is so good to talk to you. I, as I as I told you earlier, I was like, it's so weird to hear someone's voice that you haven't actually physically spoken to in over a decade. But yes, um, yes, cool nonetheless. And for those folks uh, who obviously don't know who we are, um, you know, we, which is probably a lot of you, um, <laughs> Julie and I went to school together uh, at Elmira College. The the theater epicenter, I guess you could say, of Western New York. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, but Julia was, uh, you were one year behind me, right? I was 04, you were 05. Yes. 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 Okay. I just want to make sure I got that correct. And wh- what I remember about you coming into the the theater department as it was, the that lovely community that we had there, was Julia was kind of our guru when it came to design, especially when it came to costuming, just absolutely just on fire when it came to design and ideas and things like that. And you're still active in that, right? I mean, you're still designing costuming all over the place, right? I am. I am. Um, I actually live not far from Elmira now. I live in Binghamton, New York. um, Oh, yeah. Which is about an hour from Elmira. And I work with a lot of the different theatrical groups here. That, and we have probably 15 groups that range from, you know, small companies to giant, huge companies that do children's shows and run classes and things. And so I, I work as a contracted costume designer and I work with a lot of those. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And then um, my day job 
is I make and design wedding gowns and custom sewing projects and do alterations. So I've really kind of jumped off from my days at Elmira and now I sew about 60 hours a week. My gosh, that's incredible. That's incredible. (laughs) This is actually, I'm I'm so glad to be talking to you about today's movie, which is uh, 2005's Reefer Madness, because the design in this movie is off the charts. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later in this film. But um, tell me about your, 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 I guess you could say your history with this, this movie. Um, you know, what got you, I mean, I, when I put out the call and said, I, I want to do this, you were like the first person to say, raise your hand quickly. I, I want Reefer Madness. I was like, okay, let's do it. What is it about this, this uh, musical, this movie that, that, you know, draws to you? So I did uh, a Rocky Horror live cast for about eight years in Binghamton, and it was super active. And one of the things that we like to do every year was come up with a different movie to shadow cast. And we, we did Shock Treatment, of course, which is the sequel to Rocky Horror. And, um, and then my sister said, why don't you watch Reefer Madness? So we started watching the film in a big group and it just lent itself so well to calling, like doing the callbacks or you shout at the movie. Mm. And, and also at the time I was in a vintage style band that was kind of vaudeville inspired. So the whole look of the show and just the campiness really spoke to me because it's just, you know, like movies like Rocky Horror and Shock Treatment they're so delightful, like all the like little nuts and bolts of like what makes them fun to watch. And then to have a modern movie have that same kind of feel. And then, of course, have the amazing acting and singing and dancing talent that this one does. I just really like latched onto it. And yeah, yeah, no, it's it's one of those like you're you're de- I'm so glad you brought up Rocky Horror and Shock Treatment. And uh, because th- this does feel like that cultish you know, type of, of movie. And it's, you know, certainly it's an acquired taste. I mean, I don't think everybody who watches Reefer Madness is going to walk away, you know, loving the film <laughs> and things like that. It's definitely going to divide um, opinions, but, you know, as I was watching, I've, I've never seen like a, a, an actual screening of the, of the film where people are like, you know, participating and things like that. So I definitely have not seen that, that joy and that fun from that angle, but um, I can definitely see why it's there. And I can definitely see why fans, uh, would certainly be drawn to this as well. When, was that the first time you saw this this movie? Was was when you were kind of planning this whole thing? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so so we were just like, well, let's watch it. It certainly's got a catchy enough title to you know scream at the movie at midnight. But then as we were watching it, we were like, this is a good movie. Like it's just <laughs> a good movie. Um, and then just the soundtrack was was fantastic. So I mean. There are just times when I'm like, oh, I want to listen to the soundtrack and I just put it in and sing along in my car. Heavily edited. Heavily edited. For, Heavily for, edited. Because yeah. <laughs> um, we both have little ones where we cannot uh, be yes. blasting certain songs in cars yeah. uh, like we used to. But that's awesome. Now, now, when you rewatched it for this podcast, did you notice anything new that you were like, wow, I didn't notice that before and I love that? Or, you know, I thought I loved that originally and it's not so great now like did anything change did any opinions change while you're watching it there 
is a fetishism to like the Americana in the movie mm. that back when the movie came out and I was watching it, you know, all the time and like learning the dances to shadow cast it and everything. It didn't bother me. But now I'm like, oh, you know, like, so, there, <laughs> so there's like this fetishism about like American culture that happens in the movie that's quite uncomfortable, mm. you know, and and then especially because the movie does have the layer of the 1930s heavy racism, you know, because they the one scene where um, Sally sells her baby and the the one of two Chinese people in the movie, you know, makes a joke about eating the baby. Yeah, it didn't come and, off well. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. You know, so like there's small moments that given our current culture make it very hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, d- you know? definitely. And definitely. then in the in the very end when they all leave the jail with the pitchforks and the torches to go burn all the books and the black family like grabs their children and runs back inside from the mob of white people. Yes. <laughs> I'm just like, "Oh no." Not good not good visuals there. Yeah, um, no. Yeah, so it's the movie has an extra layer of offensiveness now that maybe wasn't super intentional when they filmed it right right now have you seen the original uh 1936 movie yes oh you have i have i have not so i was i you know obviously i I went back and i did some research afterwards but yeah i was actually kind of surprised how closely this this musical does follow that that original film and in all of its you know you know warts and all as they say so yeah, definitely interesting. It's, it's definitely an interesting watch out here. What did you, what were your impressions about seeing the 1936 film too? I couldn't believe that people took it serious. <laughs> like, you know, because you're just watching it and they're saying these ridiculous things, you know, because they did say that, you know, jazz music like enslaved people. <laughs> and, right. and you're just like, how does anybody, how does anybody fall for this? And of course they did. Because of the popularity of like the anti-marijuana laws and right and things like that, but it was it's it's very definitely strange because it has that feel of a mockumentary, even though it's totally serious. Totally serious, exactly, exactly. You know, it's funny. I I this is actually the reason why I wanted to do this podcast. You know, about this movie was. You know, as as the the paranoia and hysteria of the 1930s and 40s about what marijuana was all about, we're kind of going through that again today in 2019 because a lot of states are now legalizing use of marijuana and sale of marijuana. And those age-old, you know, your early 20th century fears about the effects of marijuana are now being raised by opponents of of these these changes in law and. You know, I'm starting to hear a lot of those same arguments from these politicians and saying like, no, it's going to turn our youth and, you know, it's going to do damaging things. And, you know, <laughs> it's like it's it's really it's hilarious to just see, you know, all that happen now, which is that I think is crazy. But what I like about the way that this movie this movie does is it it basically it, it definitely satirizes uh, the you know original film, but it definitely doesn't really take a I guess you could say it doesn't really take a stance. Either way, it just kind of just kind of just highlights the the absurdity of the original film, so to speak. But what did you what did you think about that? Like in terms of like how 
these laws are changing and how relevant this this movie is now i think i don't know it's hard to feel like the the movie still has relevance and that people who watch it if you are pro marijuana legalization then you're going to take away from it that the people against it are ridiculous Mm -hmm. and that their arguments are false. I think that if you are on the other side of the coin and don't want it legalized and watch this movie, you're going to feel like it's picking on you personally. Oh, that's a good point. But I, I think that you're right. And the movie doesn't take a stand. It's not, it's not saying None of the consequences of smoking marijuana are logical in the movie. So it's, <laughs> it's definitely not condemning the use of it in any way. Right. Because nobody, nobody's going to turn into a BDSM slave. Like no one's going to turn into a zombie and eat their friend. So I think that it goes pretty far over the line of what could happen when you use mm-hmm. marijuana. So I feel like in that kind of a way, they're saying it's okay. Right. Right. But yeah. It's no, kind it's kind of a convoluted way of saying it. No, I think you're you're hundred percent right. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's it's very interesting movie to listen to. I mean, watching it is great, but yeah, like when you actually you listen to the script and the arguments that are presented in in the film, uh, if you can get past the absurdity of all these situations, yeah, no, it definitely it definitely has some some strong opinions. You know, I got to tell you what what I also loved about this movie, Julia, was its cast, and you know, you've got you've got musical theater vets. Left and right. I mean, you've got Alan Cumming in this, Anna Gasteyer. You've got Kristen Bell, like a year into Veronica Mars, so she hasn't really become, you know, Kristen Bell yet. And you know, for those of you who don't know, I mean, she does have a musical theater background. She, she went to college for musical theater, so this kind of like, and she was also in the original Off Broadway production of Reefer Madness. So, it, you know, she was basically, I don't know, it was weird. Like when a lot of people when she did Frozen and she started singing and a lot of people were like, oh my God, Kristen Bell, you know, she's singing. This is crazy. I'm like, yeah, have you ever seen Reefer Madness? Like, right. It's just one of those like, okay, yeah. <laughs> remember she was actually in that. And then you've got some interesting other folks, I mean, that you don't really know, uh, you know, Christian Campbell, who's playing Jimmy in this. I mean, kind of, kind yeah, of. Yeah, and you he's know. actually, uh, Nev Campbell plays the Five and Dime shop operator and she does the dance number with Steven Weber who plays Jack in Five and Dime which is how he of course convinces Jimmy to come to the reefer den um but both Nev and Christian are um are are theater veterans as well Mm -hmm. she was a dance major because she doesn't really sing and but he was a he was a voice and dance major so the Campbell family has some really strong theater ties there too Absolutely. Just, just, you know, he stayed stage except for this movie. And, and she, of course, did um, a bunch of TV shows in the late 90s. Yeah. I mean, she did she you know, Party of Five. Party of Five and the Scream movies. I mean, and what was funny when this movie came out, you could argue that she was probably the most, you know, recognizable person in the cast in 2004. And, it was funny. I read that like the producers, you know, wanted to give her a bigger role, but the problem was all the roles were kind of love interests of Jimmy and you can't, you can't do that. So, (laughs) um, 
and it wouldn't have really made sense for her to be on a guest star's part. So, you know, the five and time, you know, um, waitress was you know just fine, but uh, we got to see her. You know, you, to, to your point, we got to see her dance a little bit in yeah. the film. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> definitely showing off those uh, those dance chops. But you know, I, I I really liked that. You know, you have a a musical you know, cast here. It wasn't, you know, like some other musicals that we've seen where it's actors that, you know, that can't sing, can't dance, but like, oh, I'll, a musical sounds fun. I'll do that. You know, it's, right. you're, you've got an actual strong cast and, and, and even in the supporting roles from, you know, John Kassir who plays Ralph and then one of my personal favorite people on the planet, Amy Spanger, who is, uh, she was also in Rock of Ages, the original cast of Rock of Ages. Uh. I mean, she is freaking hilarious in this movie as Sally. And, it's not, it's not a surprise. I mean, if anybody's ever seen Amy Spanger on stage, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about when, when you talk about her comedic timing. And it's one of those, I don't know, Julia, I mean, she's one of those actresses. I'm like, why didn't she have, why hasn't she had, you know, the, the bigger career? Why isn't she an A-list Broadway star yet? And that could be just by my personal choice, but like, man, it's like, she should be in everything, you know? Well, see, I actually have a very different opinion about her. Whoa. <laughs> I do. I, like I do. Um, I saw her in Rock of Ages, mm-hmm. and she was all over the place. Like all over the place, then. <clears throat> she was just, it was, it was, um, it was a bad performance. You know, like she, she like missed her mark. She, you know, stopped dancing at one point. Oh no! Like she missed an entrance, and I was just like, "What is happening? What's going on?" Yeah, and. You know, she's really funny in the movie, but like there's a couple of times where her her top notes get a little little pitchy for me. Whoa. Like in, in like in the end when she's doing that whole freedom freedom bit, I'm like, oh, it's not it's not as smooth. And of course we hear, you know, Anna Gasteyer and Christian and Kristen Bell sing beautiful high notes earlier in the show. Right. And then we end the show with Amy Spanger, kind of. Hmm, that's a good point. Yeah. I gotta go back and re-listen to it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like I've I've seen Amy in a couple of different things, and you know that you know the night that I saw her in in Rock of Ages, I you know I didn't notice the same thing as that. Probably those errors didn't happen uh, during my performance, but you know that it's interesting how like yeah, like when it comes to theater and Broadway and stuff like that, if that's the one time that you see someone that can really you know change your opinion and you know base it off of that. So that's like that's a valid point by you. But yeah, no, I think to your point, I, I definitely gotta go back and listen to some of these songs again to see you know how how it sounds and whatnot. But you know it's but again, I think it's again, you've got just such a great musical cast that's knowledgeable that understands this. And what I like too is, the the different musical theater tropes that this movie goes through. I mean, you've got the old time swing dancing, you've got the Rodgers and Hammerstein esque ballads. You even got a little bit of a Fosse esque uh, type of thing here, but it does kind of cover a whole, you know, spread of different types of musical styles, which I, I definitely appreciate as well. Um, what other things kind of jumped out to you about this film that you love, didn't love, things like that? Uh, oh, there's so much. I mean, and I know we're going to talk about it a little later with the design, but like right. just the overall look, like I think they did a really great job with pairing the complete and total ridiculousness of the subject matter and actually living in the 1930s, mm. you know, and then they also have the aspect where the movie 
proper with, you know, Jack and May and uh, Ralph and Sally and everybody, that takes place in the 30s. But Alan Cumming showing the movie takes place about 10 years later. So when they, so they do a really good job of blending them all together. And then also, um, I think Alan Cumming's little cameos where he just keeps popping up in all of the scenes. Like, I just, I remember watching it the first time being like, that's Alan, that's Alan, there he is again. And just, like, just the way they threw him into everything and really used everything that he could bring to the project. Like, I just, I love that. Yeah, no, he I, I, he was he was fantastic. I mean, he gets my MVP of the movie. You know, it's just he's all over the place, and especially at the end when he's playing, you know, the president and um, just absolutely ridiculous, off the wall uh, in throughout this entire film. Um, so let's move on. Let's move on to some of our categories here. Um, all right. So now with this movie, it's a little different. I mean, sometimes the first actually I like to do is what are called dusty room moments, where you know, as we watch some of these movie musicals, sometimes we love some things more than others and sometimes you know stuff makes us emotional we either cry we get the goosebumps things like that with reefer madness it might be a little bit different because it's not really an emotional um <laughs> sentimental movie so to speak but um on the flip side let me let me change it julia are there any like really amazing comedic or just amazing moments that just stand out for you in this movie um oh that's hard to Hard to yes. narrow down, and right? I, al- I also actually do have a dusty room moment. Oh my gosh! Like well, an then, actual one. Well, let's start so there. I'm going to start there, please. Um, so at one point, May has, and and it's not like a good like I'm emotional because this is happy or it's uh, It's more like just a really tragic moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when May's got a stake on her eye, and a giant bruise on her face, and Jack hits. Uh, uh, Jimmy and he falls down and May hands the reefer cigarette over and says he's really a nice guy when you get to know him Mm. and I just that's like so heartbreaking because here they are both abused by the same man and she's still making excuses for it yeah that definitely stood out to me too and I'm like so that's like my honest dusty room moment and then the thing that just makes me lose it every single time is when uh, Robert Torty, who plays Jesus, gets the cup during Listen to Jesus, Jimmy, and he's baptizing people like it's a sensor with a <laughs> <the> microphone. microphone. <laughs> I just like, <laughs> I just lose it every single time. Doesn't does he take out like the communion thing and just toss it like it's a, like a, a card yeah. or something like that? Yeah, and he's just like tossing out wafers like... <laughs> He's dealing blackjack. It's just, oh my god, that was a great sequence. That was a great it's, sequence. It's so good and so funny and so simple of a thing. Yeah, there are little things. Yeah, now that you bring that, there's like little things here and there that are just touches, like acting choices that people made that are are phenomenal. Like, like during that scene where um, you know uh, Anna Gasteyer's character and and Steven Weber come back from getting the Chinese so that they can, you know, help Ralph's munchies and he's, he's eaten <laughs> a Sally. Um, throughout that entire scene, Anna Gasteyer is just making noises. Like she's like screaming, she's wailing, she's moaning like continuously through that entire sequence. <laughs> and it's freaking hilarious. And um, it just, it, I, I actually had to go back and rewind it a couple of times. Like she doesn't stop making noise through that entire sequence. And it, it's amazing. No. 
like all the way through Jack following Ralph out through the garden, she's still going. She's still going. And it's phenomenal. And and her line readings in this movie are are ridiculous um, as well. One thing I liked too that that really made me laugh. Uh, when I saw it was after uh, Marilyn dies on the ground and the cops come in and they arrest Jimmy, they, they arrest Jimmy and then the cops like, wow, what a way to go or something like that. And then they just <laughs> shut the door and leave. leave. <laughs> like they just leave the body there. Like, I was like, that's ridiculous uh, right. in the best way and possible. Then Jack, and then Jack robs the corpse. He takes the ring back. Yes, you're right. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is phenomenal. There's a- it's amazing. Amazing. Um, and I know that I spent like a good portion of time dissing Amy Spanger, but when she lights the baby on fire <laughs> and then she burns her hand and licks it, and then just that arm is dead for like the next minute and a half of movie. Mm-hmm. And she's just like flailing her arm around like that's another like very solid, like solid choice funny, on her part. Like, yeah. 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 She's got a lot of great moments in the movie where she's just, where you believe she doesn't have a brain. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, it, it just seemed like the director of this film um, just kind of let the, 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 the actors go and just said like, I think sometimes the more absurd, the better here. And um, it works. It works a lot throughout this film. I mean, I, I liked, it's interesting like how, everything goes back to zombies in this movie. Like, you know, the smoking weed turns you into a zombie. And like, and it reminded me, I was like, okay, was that like the legitimate, like fear of the time or things like that? But I just thought it was interesting that they kept going back to that zombie film type of trope, so to speak. So that, that stuck out to me as well. On the flip side, Julia, sometimes there are things in this movies that make us cringe a little because either it's 2005 or 1936 or things that, you know, make us uncomfortable. And you mentioned one with your dusty room moments where it's like, oh yeah, that, that moment doesn't play well. And you mentioned earlier the, you know, the, the sub, the subtitling of the, the Chinese actors and things like that, that also come off well, but were there any other moments that just made you kind of go yeesh? Like that's, that doesn't, doesn't play well in 2019, so to speak. It's kind of hard with this movie because there's a whole tone where they kind of want it to be offensive. Mm. You know, because, I mean, Jack's entire relationship with May is just wildly not okay. Right. You know, like, he's constantly, like, talking down to her and beating her. And, of course, in the stuff, she she said, you know, she's got the line about how he gets stoned and rapes her. Um, so there's a lot that's uncomfortable mm-hmm. in this movie when you rewatch it, particularly with you know, like the Me Too movement and how he treats May um, and the rampant racism in the movie. It's just, it, it does get uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Like as fun as the movie is, it's, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable watch. You know, it's, it's one of those things where when it comes to things like satire and, you know, um, you know, comedy and, and, and whatnot. I mean, there are masters at this thing. Like, the, like I always think of South Park in a way where it's like, you know, they, they know how to, to walk that line very well. And there are also some times where 
you watch movies where it's like, okay, we're going to personally be satirical here and, and try to be offensive. And then there's other times in movies where they're like, you can clearly see they weren't really trying to be offensive, but it's offensive anyway and things like yeah. that. So, you know, this movie definitely has a lot of those moments, but um, you know, for me, all the ones that you mentioned earlier were, were kind of my yeesh moments, but you know, thankfully it doesn't really change my opinion of the movie. Like there are sometimes there are moments in movies where I'm like, oof, that just that just ruined the whole experience for me. Um, yeah, this doesn't do that, which is a good thing. <laughs> Still yeah, enjoyable. I, yeah, I feel like their intent is to shine a light on this type of behavior, rather than like there's no there's no glorifying. It doesn't feel like any of these moments got put in on accident, and now they're uncomfortable. It feels very much like they knew that these moments and everything are uncomfortable and then they treated them with with a proper attitude i mm -hmm. guess i don't know it's it's hard to say but you know like it didn't it's uncomfortable to watch those moments but i'm not going to take it out of my favorite movie rotation sure like sure. it's not it's not canceled as some of these people say it, <laughs> you know like... it is not canceled and i i think that's because of the way the director handled all of the scenes right is right. you know with the, with the highly stylized design and the different eras we see and just like the cohesive nature of it 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 feels like those moments work in the movie absolutely absolutely um all right well moving on to our next section you know Julia, sometimes with these movies, um, they don't answer all of our questions. Sometimes there are mysteries that are left unsolved. And I call this lingering questions where we basically say, like, did that make sense? What happened with that? Why didn't they explain that further? I mean, basically anything, any lingering questions you had for this movie. So I'll start with you. Did you have any lingering questions with, with Reefer Madness? Um, you know, I didn't really until I was reading the the thing and the little like spreadsheet of of talking points mm -hmm. um and then when i watched the movie i noticed that the devil and listen to jesus jimmy is shocked when jimmy says the line i've got a new god now oh. <clears throat> and i'm just like why is the devil <clears throat> shocked by this interesting <clears throat> and i was just kind of like what a non sequitur moment <laughs> <laughs> you know you know you you would think that he would know that already right and then of course we see the devil again and it's the same actor it's the same devil character with um mary lane in murder and he seems totally fine with you know reefer smokers then but <laughs> he's just so shocked <laughs> right exactly um that's a good point my one, one of my questions was in that scene where, you know, Ralph is going crazy, he's eating Sally and is running around the corn, the cornfield, or not even the cornfield, the, the, the field, so to speak. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then he's impaled on that spike. I, I, at first I thought, was that all of a hallucination? Like, I was like, I was really confused because <laughs> at the end of that number in, in on a gas star, I was like, ah, and then she screams and all the zombies are gone and stuff like that. I'm like, wait, which part of that was a fantasy and which part of that was actually quote unquote real <laughs> within the film. And I, and that, that's never actually, cause we don't see, we don't see what happened to Ralph. Right. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? Like, no, Ralph doesn't come back. He doesn't come back. So I'm like, what he doesn't come <laughs> back? So is he just, is he just on the scarecrow Paul? 
Well, and what it, happened to the scarecrow? What happened to the scarecrow? And but like it was there. It, it the way that whole sequence, you know, goes through is like okay, so Steve Weber's character shoots him. He goes flying through the window, and then he gets up and starts running through the field. But and at the end of that number, when Anagaster like snaps out of it, you still see the window, bro- the the door broken behind her. So like yes, so we know that like he went out the window, but it's like <laughs> what, ha- what actually happened after that? So that right. was never and, that yeah, yeah, and and Jack sees none of it. Like no, he's like, like completely unfazed. He's yeah, he's he's got like no idea. So I don't, I don't know. No idea. No idea. That's, so that, that was one mystery that I had. But what was funny was as I was going through this movie, every time that a, like an actual question came up, what was interesting was the question was actually answered by that audience member in the who's watching the film, Mr. I think his name is Mr. Kuczynski, who Kuczynski. Keeps being, Kuczynski, who keeps being accused of being a commie. Yeah. <laughs> like when they're talking about the, like, the addictive properties of, of, of uh, marijuana, he's like, well, actually, I think heroin's worse. They're like, no, <laughs> shut up, you. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, of my, a lot of my unanswered questions were actually answered by him throughout this entire film. So, yeah, they do a really good job of wrapping up their, their uh, loose ends, which is mm. good because the film actually does have several loose ends going through it, but then. You know, we have Alan coming and and his assistant Boomsack and and all of the people in you know like the 1940s um, black and white sections of the film who are there to bring up all the continuity errors. Right, right. And I just like how the movie just ends. It just ends. Like there's, there's no there's no denouement, if you will. It just ends. Like <laughs> just like and we're done. And we're done. Like here's what happens. I mean, we do see, you know, we see Marilyn going to, to heaven, which is great, but uh, <laughs> which right. again doesn't. <laughs> it's like why do why do uh, Billy's actions uh, or Jimmy's actions free her from the bondage of the devil? I, it's like that. That's like it just so many so many questions about that. But you know, you just kind of. That's like a shrug your shoulders moment. It's like, okay, well, it is what it is. <laughs> like, just... right? Like, she, okay, fine. She's she's not in hell anymore. And then, of course, the actual ending ending of the movie is a little weird because they all everybody in the movie is now colorized, and we see Ralph and Jack who are both dead. Mary is an angel. She's standing sandwiched weirdly in between Jesus and the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course. You've got like Joan of Arc and all of these weird random people at this bonfire that takes place nowhere we've ever seen before. Nowhere. Nowhere. And then it just ends. They march off and that's that's the end of the movie. And then they're done. They're done. And then they're done. Speaking of which, Joan of Arc is actually played by an actress by the name of Christina Lakin, who um, I had a serious crush on as a kid. Uh, She was on the show called Step by Step on abc and um, oh my god she was yeah so i saw her and i was like whoa is that christina lagan and sure enough it isn't who's also like a, an incredible dancer um as well so it was great to see her in this this movie and i was like oh my love <laughs> my first love there she is <laughs> so there you go um amazing amazing so folks we know that with these movie musicals you for them to be truly fantastic you need to have you know four areas that are just performing strongly through that and that's, of course, singing, dancing, acting, and design. And what we like to do on this podcast is go through each category and rank how we felt that singing and dancing was, one through ten. One being the worst, of course, and ten being the best. So, Julia, I'm going to start with you. Let's start with singing. Okay. 
Okay, let's start with the singing, the actual singing in the movie. How did you rate? <laughs> how did you rate the singing one through ten, and why? All right, so I gave it a seven. Whoa, because, nice. Well, because there are some solid people who are like really bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like I said earlier, I think Amy had some down moments. So, um, but and and poor Stephen Weber and John Kassir, they're they're not vocalists. Mm. Um, and while they sang with great gusto, it wasn't like an artful sound. Good point. So, but like having said that, there's a moment where um, the entire ensemble is singing in murder. And they're all singing along with Anna Gasteyer and Christian uh, uh, Christian Campbell is in that group and Robert Torty and all of these and, and Kristen Bell. All these amazing singers are singing the the main part of Murder. But Stephen Weber, who's probably the least vocally trained person in the movie, is is singing full voice against everybody else. And I just have to say that it's like a great moment and he really nailed it mm. because like he, he sang with purpose and he, an intent and he sounded good. And I'm just like, that's a really strong moment for him. Yeah. Like, so I gave it a solid seven. That's a solid seven. You know, it's funny. I gave it an eight. So I'm kind of right there with you. I mean, I think there are, and I, I agree a hundred percent for every, it feels like for every good singer there is in this movie, there's someone who's just kind of like above average and therefore it kind of brings down the, the total average, so you speak. Um, yeah. Like Nev Campbell, even even her couple lines, you know, there I'm like, eh, okay, she's not a singer, but that's okay. Still can do a great, you know, dance uh, as well. But yeah, I think you know, with folks like Stephen Weber and John Kazir, who who really are trying to do, you know, as, as character voices as much as possible. You're right; it does it definitely brings down, you know, the total average uh, for singing there as well. How about the dancing in this movie, Julia? How do you feel about that? I gave it an eight. Nice. Um, a lot of the a lot of the dance numbers are really really impressive, but then there's some dance numbers that are really like simplistic, and it feels like they're they did that so that everybody could be dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a moment in the orgy where um, the three reefer den leads are are, are trying to dance, and Anna Gasteyer is, is pulling off her dance moves a little bit better than Stephen Weber, but Stephen Weber's keeping up. And then John Kassir is just hanging from a pole <laughs> doing this weird, awkward split thing. And, and I just feel like they were like, all right, so you're not a dancer. We're going to pull all of these numbers back right. a little bit. So it's a little less obvious, but then you have really good dancers in there. Like, Amy Spanger is a delightful dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nev Campbell is a great dancer. Joan of Arc, you know, as you just said, was a great dancer, but she doesn't get any dance moves really. Right. She just stands right. there and bops. So I feel like there are some missed opportunities that bring this movie down. Yeah. yeah it's funny. Dancing. It's the the choreography was done by a woman by the name of Mary Ann Kellogg, who interestingly enough was nominated for an Emmy for this for best choreography. Um Hmm. which yeah i was like oh okay like you know interesting but you know she's got a very interesting career i mean she's she choreographed clueless which uh, the movie and i 
I, when I saw that, I was like, wait, what, what choreography was in Clueless that she could have done? And I was like, I, I really racked my brain there for a while. So, and then she does, she also does Night at the Roxbury and like a lot of those like early comedies. But um, yeah, I, I gave it a six. I just, I, the, some of the choreography really worked for me. I think, you know, that scene uh, that definitely takes place in the malt shop and stuff like that really worked. Uh, but other times it was just like, okay, we're just kind of moving. Like this is just like spacing. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. the, uh, the, 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 the scene that takes place in the jail um, later on, that's, you know, that's another strong production number as well. But um, yeah, it was weird, to, weird to see her nominated for an Emmy for this. I was like, that doesn't really look like it's award winning or <laughs> award worthy choreography on that end. Right. But, you know, what are you going to do? How about the acting in this movie, Julia? How did you feel about that? Oh, I'm, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a big fan. Nice. I actually gave it a 10. Nice. And I gave it a 10 because I think that they're just so strong all together. Just like the way they all interact with each other. Right. Was just fantastic. Because, I mean, they all have different backgrounds, you know, and, and Steven Weber normally plays either the idiot or the good guy. So to see him play... <laughs> a bad guy and to do it so well. And John Kassir, who is famous for being the crypt keeper. Yes. I um, completely forgot about that. Thanks for bringing that up. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that part where, where he dies and does the laugh. Yes. I'm um, just like, Oh, there's, so there's just all of these like little moments where they all work together. And there's one moment where they're all singing loved by Mary Lane and it's the devil and Joan of Arc and Jesus. And they just all turn off when they're not singing. And you can mm-hmm. literally watch these three actors come alive and then turn off again. And it's just, it's perfect and ridiculous at the same time. <laughs> and I think that if they weren't so in tune with each other, it would have just looked like they screwed up the scene. And then it ended up in the movie. Mm. Nice. Nice. So. I, I agree hundred percent. I, I gave the acting 10 as well because, you know, I think with a, with a movie like this and I compare it to also, um, you know, Rocky horror and what's the other one that's, um, is it Dr. Is it Dr. Horrible? Oh, gosh, I, I, I'm Dr. Horrible sing along blog. Yes. Like that's another yeah. one where you've got these actors that are in something that is so like, over the top crazy and stuff like that, but yet they're committed. And like each of them are just dialed up to 11. Like Anna Gasteyer gives an incredible, ridiculous performance. Kristen Bell is great. I mean, across the board. So like, you know, no one's mailing it in. And, you know, for this ridiculous movie, I was loving it. I love it when I see actors do that. And uh, yeah, definitely gave it a 10 uh, on my part as well. All right. So now this is what I'm, this is actually the category I'm most excited to talk to you about design from costuming to set to just the way the movie looks total. Julia, how did you feel about the design about this movie? I gave it a nine. I, I think that overall it's like, it's just a stunning movie and it's got the different time periods and the different locations, you know, and, and I mean like one of the locations we see is heaven, which is a nightclub. So I think that there's, it's just so visually rich, but I did knock off a point because um, all of 
and Agastyr's costumes have visible zippers going up the back. Whoa. And uh, invisible zippers are not a 30s thing. Um, in fact, zippers going up the back of a dress is not really a 30s thing. It would have been in the side. So I deducted a point for that. Because I'm picky about that. Well, this is why I wanted you on this. This is why I'm so glad to have you on this podcast because you notice things like that. Um, that's awesome. I because I for me, I didn't catch that at all. So I agree with you. <laughs> that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Any other thoughts on the design? Um I I think that they did a really good job getting stereotypes represented. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like the entire look of Jack is like a mobster you know so like from the moment you meet him you know he's going to be the bad guy mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and i think that that's a really nice flavor to have added into the movie that they didn't necessarily have to do right you know and from the outside he looks like a man wearing a suit but the difference is, is that when we see alan cumming in his opening suit just like the whole tone of their outfits is different and it's like really subtle things. So, you know, Alan Cumming gets a single breasted jacket and a small collar, like small lapel and a, a like fatter tie, no mustache. The hat doesn't match the outfit perfectly. Then when we see Jack, his hat matches his jacket perfectly. We've got the double breasted. We've kind of got like that gangster wide lapel it's really stereotypical. And then we've got the pencil mustache, which is, you know, kind of iconic 1930s and 40s bad guy in movies. So they did a lot of good, hard thinking on how they were going to differentiate people from scene to scene to scene. And it just it came out so well. Awesome. 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 Yeah, no, I agree. I think there are a lot of. I think for me, a lot of things that work design-wise, I think they worked really well within their budget that they had for this film. You know, especially when you're using, you know, sets and sound stages and things like that. I thought that they did a nice mix of use of that. I think when they used gigantic set pieces and sound stages, it, it, it did work really well. Costuming, you know, I think that's that's your realm, and I think you nailed that um, as well. But yeah, no, it, I thought it was strong design all around. So I, I was right there with you. I gave it an eight, actually. Uh, for design. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Folks, we know that when it comes to the numbers and the musical numbers in this movie, there's, there's things that are taken out. There are things that are added in. Um, there are things that we love, things that we don't love. So I call this sections, um, numbers that we needed, numbers that we could do without. And then what number are you going to fast forward to if you've only got just a couple minutes to watch this movie? But Julia, you had some pretty interesting notes on this first section, which is numbers that we needed because i did not know what you know so go ahead you just you take the reins on this one go ahead okay so it was based on a stage show which uh originally premiered in i think 2001 or two mm -hmm. um and it had a lot of the actual same actors in it you know christian campbell christian bell and i believe nev campbell was also in the show originally so there were a bunch of numbers that were cut from the movie and Really, the only one that could have stayed um, is a song called Dead Old Man. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a solid musical number, um, but it is, it's supposed to be the traveling music for Jimmy so that they can do the scene change in between him hitting the old man with uh, Mary's Packer 
the Packard and uh, getting to Mary's house to return the car. Oh, um, okay. So in terms of things that I would have liked to see included in the movie, that song is a solid song choice. I would have liked it somewhere in the movie, maybe at the end credits, maybe in a deleted scene. I don't know. Um, but it was a solid musical number. Having said that, <laughs> uh, there are some songs that got cut from from the musical that deserved to be cut. Um, oh, okay. There is, and I mean, some of them are like the finale of Act Song of Act One, which you know closed everything up. But if they had put it in the movie, despite it being a solid song, it would have ruined the second half of the movie. Because it would have given away literally everything moving oh, forward. Interesting. Interesting. So, so that one, I like, it's a good song, but it was cut for reasons of it being a movie, not a show. There's a song called Jimmy on the Lamb, which is basically a weird rendition of, of characters singing about how Jimmy is missing. Um, the characters don't really, I think one of them might be Mickey from the five and dime scene mm-hmm. singing with Mary Lane, but it doesn't really make much sense because Mickey's kind of a throwaway character in the movie. Right. Right. Um, there is a song called the monkey song, which is sung by Sally's baby. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. And, and it's a lullaby song and it is painful. Oof. Um, because it's basically about how hungry the baby is, how neglected the baby is. And it's oh. just a really absolutely <clears throat> terrible song. Right. Um, so I was a really big fan of that one being cut out. And then um, the song in the movie that they sing in the bonfire, um, you know, once the reefer has been destroyed, we'll start on Darwin and Sigmund Freud. Um, that is a thousand times better than the song that took that place in the musical. Good to know. Um, The musical version has one called We Know Best, where at one point, um, Jimmy's dad gets a paddle and everybody in the cast paddles Jimmy while he's singing. And they talk about, you know, basically the racism of the time and about how Jimmy's against blacks and asians and reefer and it's a completely terrible song (laughs) (laughs) and and i i didn't actually know that it existed um until i bought the soundtrack when i was thinking about it the other day and when you buy the movie soundtrack amazon had a deal where they would do like a double cd so you could download the movie musical and then the musical would be like piggybacked onto that for the same cost. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. I'll do that. And then I was, you know, listening to the musical versions of all the songs to kind of prepare and see if there was any big differences. And who oh, I did not make it all the way through this song. Because <laughs> um, it's, it's just so painful. Right, right. And definitely needed to be cut (laughs) good points good points how about how about any any songs that exist in this movie that you're like you probably should have added that to the cut list too 
I don't think so. I'm a pretty big fan of most of them. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way too. I was like, I, I kind of, I really struggled. I mean, I don't think I would cut any of the songs. I mean, I think some of the the composition might have, maybe like the opening number a little bit, but like, yeah, no, nothing, everything else kind of works for me. Like I was, there's not a yeah. single song where I'm like, yeah, you probably could have done without a song there or that. I mean, they all, they all kind of fit nicely into the, the narrative, so to speak. So. Totally. I mean, even even the weird one, like the brownie song, like yeah, <laughs> it's just weird. But on the other hand, you're kind of like, well, it's just adding to the ridiculous nature of it. So, so I I wouldn't cut it either. Right, right. Like, like definitely couldn't do that in a musical of it. But yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, how about how about this, Julia? If you've got like. You're, you're, you've got stuff to do. You're headed out the door. You've got five minutes. You just have a you know craving to watch a little bit of, of Reefer Madness. What are you gonna? What do you? What moment in this in this movie are you going to? Probably listen to Jesus, Jimmy. It's <laughs> a good point. Good chat. Good uh, good pick there. Because it's kind of got everything. Like because mm-hmm. it's got the humor. It's got good singing. The dance is solid. It's. It's also really indicative of the level of ridiculousness that's mm-hmm. in this movie. So, yeah, if if I was crunched on time or needed to hook somebody into watching this with movie with me later, listen to Jesus Jimmy. There you go. There you go. For me, it's and this is going to sound weird, but um, I'm going to go right to Mary's death. That whole scene, like from the oh. from the point that she shot to the to the. Uh, to the Romeo and Juliet reprise that we get to, J- to Jimmy being <laughs> arrested and taken away. Um, <clears throat> that whole sequence for me is just gold. And I love the fact that even in like, you know, as, as you know, Mary's dying and they have that like fantasy of them, you know, being Romeo and Juliet, you know, she's still bleeding from the chest. <laughs> and so like, yeah. even in her fantasy, she's still bleeding from the chest. Uh, so I, I definitely appreciated that <laughs> consistency uh, there on that end. Uh, but yeah, that entire scene, I don't know. It's weird. Like I love as as silly as this sounds. I love watching death scenes in movie musicals because some of them are obviously, you know, serious, but others are trying to be serious and just come off as so freaking goofy. Um, I, can't, <laughs> I can't help it. Like, you know, <laughs> my favorite I, I went and saw a production of uh, Oklahoma, uh, not the not the new Broadway. So I don't I don't want people to think that I'm dissing Broadway, but this was like a, a high school production. And when Judd dies, spoiler by the way, uh, <laughs> Judd dies for at those the of end. You not familiar, right? For those of you living under a rock for the past you know almost a hundred years, um, he so the 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 actor like gets shot. He you know he falls he falls on his knife and he dies. And like you see the body there, and then like three seconds later, the, the the student realized he was in the wrong spot. So you see him like kind of wiggle oh, into no. his spot, and I oh, I just no. lost it in the audience. <laughs> and I just like things like that. And then like over the top serious sounds like in late Miz when like you know Eponine's another again spoiler uh, <laughs> Eponine <laughs> you know dies. Um, I, I have to say these things now because people. There are some people out there who have never seen Les Mis. Um, I just, I, which boggles my mind, but uh, that's mind blowing. <laughs> like is. that really is. I'm like, wow. First and of I all, have people. A friend who like, and I, I have a friend who like doesn't catch any, um, any pop culture references at all. 
but mm. she still knows, you know. She like, still knows. <laughs> she's still aware that Eponine does, in fact, die. Does, in fact, and which is why you get that that song, uh, Little Fall of Rain, is the most goofiest, over-the-top song I've ever seen. So, again, that's why I love these death scenes. <laughs> and it felt like this this death scene was really on the nose. And they were kind of making fun of those types of scenes, which is why I, I, I appreciated it um, ten times more. So, you know, yeah. there you go. I, I have to also say that the fact that she's dying and Jimmy is 100% willing to lie, but he looks at, at you know, a murderess and her murderer, Bo, and even Jack and May are unwilling to lie at that moment about how Romeo and Juliet die and <laughs> right. how, how, how that ends, right? Because they're just like, no. No, no, they don't end up together. And she's like, well, it. I'm going to tell a lie right now. Right. <laughs> like, I'm just going to lie to her. She's going to keep it going. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing, yeah. nonetheless. Folks, we like on this podcast, we like to give out some pretty prestigious awards uh, for these, these movies. Um, the first is called the Julia Award, which, of course, goes to who we feel is the best singer in the movie. And it's named after Julie Andrews, whose voice is just flawless and everything that she ever did. Um, love her. Love her. So Julia, I'm going to start. Well, I, I, you know, Julia, could you give your Julia word? I guess there, um, who is, who gets your Julia word for this movie? Um, I'm going to have to say Anna Gasteyer. Yeah, me too. And I know that she's up against people who do, you know, more live theater and have more, you know, traditional Broadway voices, you know, like Ellen Cumming or um, Robert Torty, who's an amazing vocalist as well. But I feel like the way the whole movie is written, it's just is perfect for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's just perfect for her. Yeah, I think, you know, beyond her incredible acting performance, her, her vocal styles are, have always been strong, but in this movie, it's just, it's showcased really nicely. And, you know, halfway through the movie, I'm just like, damn it, why hasn't she been on Broadway more? And, you know, it's like just that voice and, and you know, it's, we're Facebook friends, me and I guest are, so I'm definitely going to, yeah, I'm going to have to tag her in this one and be like, well, you well if you're, if you're listening. If you're Anna, listening, Anna, please come to You Broadway. are a glorious <laughs> vocalist and I absolutely adore Anytime you sing, definitely, definitely, and and please come, please just you know, come to Broadway, folks. Yeah, Let's mean, make that just, happen. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. All right. So on the flip side, we've got you know amazing singers, but sometimes there are singers that aren't great, and either they're just terrible and have no business singing in the first place, or sometimes they're just not the they're just the least great singer in this movie. So I like to call this the Russell Crowe Award because it's nominated after, <laughs> um, named after Russell Crowe. And his incredible, incredible performance in Les Miserables. Um, <laughs> so, on a, on a, I guess you could say it's a down note, if you will. But, I mean, Julia, who gets your, your Russell Crowe award for this week? Ooh. I'm going to say Amy Spanger. Mm. And I'm going to say that because she's got some, some weird notes in the movie. And I've heard her sing before. And she didn't have... You know, like, because she's, uh, I think she's actually on my recording of Rock of Ages. And she sounds beautiful. Yes. Um, yep. And, and I know I've heard her sing other times and places. And she has done better than I feel she does in this movie. 
John Kassir, he doesn't really sing in the movie. You know, he's got like two lines. And I just feel like it's unfair to Steven Weber <laughs> to give it to him. <laughs> because like in the end of Murder, he just he does so well. And he's he's so far out of his element singing against all the powerhouses. I mean, like he's literally holding Anna Gasteyer's face shouting lyrics at her as she's shouting lyrics to him and and he's keeping up so right, I, right. I feel like he can't possibly be the worst because this is not what he does <laughs> so i'm just i'm really proud of him yeah it, this is a tough one i mean and i'm so glad you you made that mention about steven weber and 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 the fairness, I guess you could say, of what qualifies. Because um, at first, I mean, the first person I gave it to was Nev Campbell. And I was like, okay, she's not a singer. I mean, that's just, that's just you know, unfortunate. But then I said to myself, she only really sings like 16 bars in this entire movie. So does that, does that qualify? <laughs> does that meet the minimum requirement for this award? And I decided that it I didn't. Mean, <laughs> I mean, in the world of audition, yeah. You've and you're piece. completely right, 100%. But, and you're done. Fail. Um. That's it. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming. Um, but I think I think of all the people that that truly, you know, had multiple opportunities to sing and multiple opportunities to improve uh, throughout the film. I have to give it to John Kassir, uh as he gets my Russell Crowe, um, just because everybody else is so good. I mean, you, you know, it, you know, Christian Campbell, Alan Cumming, Kristen Bell, and Gastar. He's kind of like the the odd man out. So, you know, yeah. I mean, I understand it's a it's a, it's a character voice that he's doing but you know sometimes it's, it's he's not the worst but he's just the least great in this uh context i guess you could yeah. say so <laughs> here yeah, you go yeah i think i think he didn't get it from as my vote because the way his voice plays off of Kristen bells in little mary sunshine mm -hmm. is perfect because she sounds sweet and she's got all those ridiculous actions and all those ridiculous lyrics but he sounds he sounds like he should be threatening to tie people up with phone cord. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, I'm like, oh, this this is working for me, like as a design choice, which of course goes back to like uh, the design of the show. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, he, yeah, he's he's not a great vocalist, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and then finally, folks, we have an award here called the Bumlet Award, and this is actually named after the character of Bumlet in the movie Newsies. And if you watch the number King of New York, he's the guy swinging on the fan at the end of the number and he jumps and lands and kind of ends that number. And then you can't really take your eyes off of him for the entire movie. So I want to name an award after that actor, that performer. Um, his name was Domino Couture, who sadly passed away. So um, mm -hmm. definitely wanted to give it to basically a background performer, ensemble member, extra supporting cast member, basically anybody who's not a principal in the movie. Uh, who just kills it, and you just can't take your eyes off of them, and they, they chew all the scenery that they're in and stuff and whatnot. So, Julia, who's going to get your Bumlet Award uh, for um, this movie? It's actually like a really tiny part. Nice. Um, it's Alan Cumming's character in the black and white scenes has assistant named Boomsack, and in the background, he's just like shuffling around, keeping tabs on the parents, and he's just like, at, at one point, he, like, takes paper off one of the desks. He's, like, policing these people. <laughs> and just, like, everything about him. He's, like, so engaged, even though he's so far in the background. Like, the only real action he does is he turns the light switches on and off. And then he um, summons the EMT when the one lady 
passes out. Um, <laughs> but he's constantly active in the scene. Like, just his facial movements, it's just... It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's funny. Like, I'm so glad you brought him up because he was actually, he was like my, in my nominees, so to speak for this. And especially when he's, especially when the people start passing out, um, he's got some really just golden moments throughout. Um, I love the guy and I, I don't know his name, but at the very beginning, I think he's like in charge of the school's drama department. Cause when he says, when Alan Cummings is like, and your your much heralded production of How Green the Lilacs, <laughs> which is the play that Oklahoma is based on, um, everybody starts applauding, and he gets up and he starts bowing and things like that. Like that yeah. guy, that guy gets my moment because um, not only does he have that little moment, but he like when they're when when um, the lecturer says like take out your wallets, look at your kids. Like he has like a nice moment where he's like showing off his kids. He's like this is my daughter, um, things like that. <laughs> um, just some great some great moments there. So he's gonna get my bum little word. Uh, for this one as well, but good pick, good pick up by, by both of us. But I love, I love your yeah. pick there because, um, you know, Bumlet Blumsack, it, it works, it works. There you go. Yeah. Um, Julie, I have a final question for you. Should this get a remake slash Broadway production slash off Broadway revival, like whatever it is? Should it get, should it get a remake, so to speak? I would love to see it like launched on Broadway or off Broadway. Like I, mm. I would enjoy that. I think that, I think that it could really do well. And I, I think that there are a number of people who would, who would do really well in the roles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want another movie. Yeah. No. I feel like, yeah. I feel like another movie would just be like overkill, but, but if somebody was like, I'm going to make this, I'm going to bring this play to bro- this musical to Broadway. I would, I'd probably buy advanced tickets. You'd be on board. You'd be on board. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I thought as I was watching this and, you know, for those of you out there who don't know, this originally aired on TV. It was actually aired on Showtime. And because of that, I started thinking to myself, like, could this be down the road? One of those like live musicals that, uh, you know, NBC and Fox does. And I said, wait, no. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> like, the subject matter that nah, forget that idea, um, and nor would I ever want to see a censored version of of Reefer Madness, so to speak. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think a Broadway production would be really interesting. And in the past, when they've you know made these these films based or these musicals based on you know either their cult films or their you know beloved off off Broadway productions that then are brought back sometimes it's, you get a mixed result so to speak like sometimes they, they're successes sometimes they're failures and you know I, I i call attention to a rocky horror show like when they when they brought that to uh back to broadway as a broadway revival i remember seeing it and people were doing like the shout out stuff that you would do in the movie theaters and people were like shushing them left and right like no you can't do that here because it's not and so it was like very confusing for some of those fans seeing that movie yeah. so I, I think if they were to bring it to Broadway, which I think is not out of the realm of possibility because it is a very popularly staged uh, amateur production now. It's like I, you know, there's seldom does a season go by where I don't see a community theater doing *Reefer Madness*. Um, wow! Yeah, nobody's no. nobody's done it here. Oh um, well, hey, since you are the go-to costume person for the area, <laughs> I'll have to uh, push it. <laughs> push it, push it, please. Um, but. Uh, I think because it is done, you know, pop, you know, popularly all over the country, 
it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could you know make a move someday um but yeah i'll be interested i'm i'd, I'd be all for it though if, if, if they said if they announced a couple years now reefer madness is going to come but you know start a broadway production i'm like all right i'm on board yeah we'll see it you know i would and, be there Especially if Alan, especially if Alan Cummings is going to be in it. I mean, if he, it's oh. like, or or if Anna Gasteyer's in it. I mean, I mean, do why not? Like, and then also Amy Spanger. <laughs> so it's like, you can you can pretty much take the entire uh, cast as it is. Right, just transplant all of them. Transplant them. And, uh, I mean, there you go. There you go. Come back, reprise your roles. Oh my you. gosh, <laughs> Julia, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. This was a treat, honestly. Uh, oh my god, I had so much fun. <laughs> This is great. Um, real quick, before we stop, I mean, you, we talked about your business a little bit beforehand, but where can people find it? I mean, go ahead and just tell us, you know, the websites, wherever. How, how can people get in touch and, and get more information? Well, it's called Fairy Godmother Customs, and it's uh, Fairy Godmother spelled the really hard way. I have a Facebook and an Etsy shop, and then um, I also... I mean, like I, I work in Binghamton and, and like New York city a bit. So like, yeah, I'm nice. around. you're, you're around. And, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it is spelled fairy is F A E R I E. And then there's two D's in Godmother. So you, you really did make this the hard way of spelling. <laughs> so. I did. <laughs> I did. There was a lot of competition for seamstresses. Mm. Mm. That, yeah, good <laughs> that point. They call themselves fairy godmothers you know there was a little a, a, just a little movie about it just a you small know, one just a small one just a small one <laughs> cinder something cinder something i don't know it's, cinder it's hasn't been hasn't been part of pop pop culture much <laughs> yeah. no no you might not have heard of it <laughs> not at all not at all oh my gosh uh well folks you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts in the onstage blog network and onstageblog.com where basically we have a full staple a podcast where we're basically posting a new one almost every single day, which is crazy. Uh, That's amazing. About. Amazing. And um, you can find this podcast on not only Podbean, but also Spotify and now iTunes. So we are all over the place. Uh, our last podcast actually got up to 5,000 listens in the first 10 days, which is crazy. Nice. Um, can't even imagine how many people are listening to this right now, but hopefully most of the cast are reformatted. So there you go. I hope so. <laughs> um <laughs> And definitely tune in next week. We're going to be doing um, a little film called Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which will be our next oh. movie musical podcast. Um, and I think we're doing two next week, actually. I think we're doing Godspell 2, which is uh, you know, close, near and dear to my heart as well. So um, awesome. Well, Julia, thank you so much for, for joining me again. I, I really cannot uh, tell you how much I appreciate it. And, and if there is another movie musical that is near, to dear, near and dear to your heart, let's do it at some point. Please, yeah. I'd, love to, I'd love to have yeah. you back on this. And maybe it'll be, maybe shock. Um, oh gosh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank. Shock. I mean, like we could do shock treatment or there's a little known movie that uh, called Phantom of the Paradise that might be fun to do as well. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with both of those. So <laughs> folks, you can expect that some at some point as well. So there you go. Um, all right. Well, we will see you right here next week on the movie musical shakedown but thanks for joining us folks have a great week kitchen all right you sir how about a chef and in the end should someone die <laughs> my arm is complete i bet you want to know why i shot the bastard you're fucking bad i hold a phd in horse